Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, VA fam, it's Mandy here with another episode of the BA Q&A. This is the episode where we take all of your lovely questions and try to give you a lowercase a answer, okay? You know, you guys, when I take your questions, I'm just giving you off the dome responses. So take everything with a giant like palm full of salt-based salt, you know what I mean by that? And this is all just meant to be fun, informational, don't re- don't forget that you can remain anonymous. So give us, you know, you can tell us your business, but we won't actually put your name out there. So just let us know if you want to remain anonymous, submit your question to us at brownambitionpodcast.com or hit us up through IG. We are at brownambitionpodcast on the gram. All right, let's dive into these questions. First question from IG. We'll call this listener Sam. Sam says, Sam says, what is better, renting or buying a house? Oh, Sam, I feel like this is the perennial question on everyone's mind all of the time. And it kind of depends on a couple of different things. One, it depends on the, and I will say the economy, but also the economy in your area, the local housing economy. And financially, the second huge contributing factor to whether it makes sense to rent or buy a house is what do you want to do and what makes sense for your financial picture? I think what I love about a lot of the advice and conversations around homeownership these days is there's a lot more appetite to not force people into like prescribing to this vision of, oh, I need to get a house. I have to be a homeowner in order to build wealth or to be a proper adult, right? That's just BS and we all know it. When it comes to deciding whether to buy or rent, and by the way, this was me four or five years ago when we bought this house, I was exactly where you are. And I was like, what is the right decision? This is very stressful. We ultimately decided to stop renting and buy a house. And I'll kind of talk you through my train of thought there. At the time, in our local economy, there were some houses that we could get at an affordable price that fit the bill for what we wanted out of our lifestyle. We wanted to be close to the city. So I live outside of New York now. We wanted to be close enough to the city to commute to work, which is like, LOL, no one does that anymore. Oh, that's not true. A lot of people do. But yes, we were concerned about being close enough to the city so our commute wouldn't be hell. Finding a home that we could put our own stamp on with doing our own, you know, remodels, renovations, things like that. Because of course, we were always watching HGTV, which is what you do when you're thinking about buying a house. And then you think you're a property brother and you can just, you know, renovate it on your own. But I digress. So we wanted we wanted to find a place that had to be the right fit for us location-wise, so close to the city, not too far. 
Um, we also wanted something within our price point. So we got really clear on how much we were willing to pay. I kind of went off of what does what mortgage payment can I afford? Okay. And we decided like something near or a little bit over our rent would be doable. And that was comfortable for us to be able to pay with one income. Just in I always like to like be prepared and kind of think, well, what if one of us loses our job? At the time, we were both working full time for businesses, so it was possible, right? And my husband works for the government, so really, I tried to base it off of his salary because, you know, government jobs, so stable, blah, 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 all that. But anyway, I tried to come up with a monthly budget and then kind of work my way back my way into how much house we could afford from there. And ooh, when I tell you, you think you can afford something and then you forget about property taxes, right? <laughs> so, oh man, the property tax here are wild. So I would definitely also factor in like, what's your total household expense for the month? So how much mortgage could you afford? And then kind of try to get a sense of what property taxes are like in your area too, to give you a real realistic picture of what your housing costs could be. And then from there, once we knew kind of how much house we could afford and what kind of house we wanted and where we wanted it at, then it was just about really whittling, whittling down the list of options and filtering it down. And the good thing about being so cheap in an extremely expensive market like New York is that our options were very few, right? So once we found a house that fit our budget and the other sort of metrics, then we stopped renting and we bought the house, okay? That is what I can say. It made financial sense for us. It made sense for what we needed. It was a house that fit our needs. And those are the reasons that we got it. And for no other reasons. Could we control the economy? No. That's why I think it really is important to only buy what you can afford. And it's true, since the housing crisis of the early 2000s, banks and lenders have gotten a lot better because they've been forced to by legislation and by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. But they have been forced to get a lot better themselves at only letting people borrow what they can afford to repay. So it's a lot harder to get too much house, more house that you can afford these days. That being said, like you can still do, le like even though your lender says you're approved for X amount of money, it doesn't mean you have to buy a house for that much money. Okay? It's okay to get a it's okay to get the smaller house for a little bit less and give yourself that wiggle room. And for us, especially I didn't know 4 or 5 years ago that I'd be launching my own business, but I sure as hell was relieved to know and that's part of the reason why I was able to step out on my own. You know, when I did is because our housing expenses were not such a massive part of our household budget that I felt chained or kind of locked down to having this particular job at that particular salary, we gave ourselves that flexibility. And I'm so grateful that we did because you may have the job that pays, you know, X amount of money now, but what if in five, 10 years from now, you're not happy anymore, or you want to take a pay cut to do something else, or you want to launch your own business or whatever, or you want to buy a camper van like everyone's doing and go, you know, around the country living out of a camper van, not my style, but you know, to each his own. You have that flexibility if you create a budget that gives you some room, okay, some room to wiggle around. Uh, what else can I say about renting or buying? That's, that, that's it. Rent if you want to rent and buy when you want to buy. Pay attention to what's happening in your local economy. Um, pay attention to, you know, and if if you're in a place right now since the pandemic where houses, house price, home prices have just been insane and nothing seems affordable and you can't find a house that ticks all your boxes, then just wait. Wait or potentially pursue 
homeownership in another area, but I definitely wouldn't want anyone to buy a house before they're ready or a house that doesn't make sense for their financial goals. You're the one who wants to live in the house at the end of the day and you're the name who's going to your name's going to be on the mortgage payment each month, so that decision has to come from you and no one else. All right, Sam. Thank you so much for your question. Let me get to question number two. Oh, the boys are out today. This question comes from listeners, Brian. The boy, the men's are here. All right. So Brian says, let's say someone's credit is under 600. Would there be any benefits to them being added as an authorized user on another's credit card account whose credit score is over 700? Would there be any negative credit effects in doing so to the person whose credit score is over 700? Okay, so we've got two hypothetical people here. Someone's got poor credit, their credit is under 600, and then they're wanting to become an authorized user on someone's account who's got great credit, 700 and above. And so the question is like, basically, what are the benefits of that? And then is there any risk to the person with good credit? to have someone piggyback on them who has crappy credit. Okay, fun question. So let's talk about being an authorized user. So there's a couple of ways to share credit responsibility and credit card usage with another person, authorized user or joint account holder. The main difference between those two is that when you're an authorized user, you're able to use the card, but you don't actually have ultimate responsibility for the payments. A joint account holder is when two people have joint responsibility for the payments. So if one person stops making payments, the other one, they're going to come for you. Okay. So authorized user, the benefit of that is it's less risk for the person with poor credit to piggyback onto someone with good credit. Less risk, meaning they don't actually, they're not on the hook for those payments. And if the person who actually is the primary account holder has issues making payments, it's not, they're not going to come after the authorized user. And the benefit of being an authorized user, which is this person's getting at, is it can actually help you improve your credit score. So long as the main account holder is making their payments on time. So this is the tricky thing here. You're really trusting that you're piggybacking and you're like attaching yourself to someone who's going to be responsibly using their credit card. If they start to not responsibly use their credit card, that could have a negative impact, of course, on them, them, they themselves, but also on you as an authorized user, because those that credit card behavior could be reported um, on, on your credit history as well. These are this kind of um, reporting will change by credit issuers. So before you become an authorized user, I would actually call up the credit card company and ask them, how do you guys treat authorized users? Do you report positive? And of course, they're going to report positive behavior to credit bureaus. But what about the negative behavior? Because that can actually change by issuers. So definitely call them up and get um, get the details on that. Now, would there be any negative effects or risk to the person with higher credit to have someone piggyback on their account who has poor credit? Well, as an authorized user, you are giving that person the um, ability to use your credit card. So yeah, there's a huge risk there. They have to be able to use it responsibly. And ultimately, if they screw things up and they charge a bunch of crap to the credit card and they can't afford to pay you for their part of the bill, then you're on the hook for that. So what I tend to see is people, you know, in relationships or like a parent-child relationship where an authorized credit card user makes more sense. I mean, 
you think you can, hopefully you can trust your kid, <laughs> but yeah, there's a risk there. And I would say if you have an authorized user on your account, you got to watch them like a hawk baby. Okay. Um, it's really, it's your credit on the line at the end of the day. So it, it's helpful for the person who needs you to improve their credit. And I think it's a great, you know, a tool and a strategy for that, but there's gotta be mutual respect and trust. And I think the person whose name is on that bill at the end of the month do not take your eye off of that credit card bill and make sure that you nip any shenanigans in the bud right away because you're the one holding the bag at the end of the day. Okay? All right, let me take a quick breaky break and I'll be right back with more BA Q&A. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. All right, BA fam, you know we work hard and we play hard, but when it comes to investing and having your money in the market, you want your money to be working for you. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Keeps your money out there working hard and kicking you-know-what I love Betterment because it makes it easy for even a beginning investor to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. All right, BA fam, it's Mandy. I am back with our third and final question for the BAQA this week. We have got a question from Brittany. Brittany says, hey, I'm new to the podcast, but I've definitely been binging. I paid off my student loans in 2019, saved up and bought my first home, and now I'm thinking about my overall financial health and trying to build wealth. On a recent episode, you mentioned you have a financial advisor. Could you talk about where we should get one, how much I should spend on them, and how often I should meet them? I tried one and it really didn't work. Then I found another one that has a flat fee of $1,250, which for someone who's trying to build wealth feels counterintuitive. I would love some advice. Okay, Brittany, I get this question a lot. And you know what? Do I have a financial planner? Yes. But do I think that everyone needs one? No. Even I don't need one sometimes. I mean, I'm sure my financial advisor and planner would tell me like, yeah, you need one. But I I don't really think that everyone needs them. I think what was helpful for me and the reason I got one um, about when did I meet Helen? Like five years ago is because my husband and I were thinking about getting engaged. We knew we were going towards marriage and wanting to combine our, you know, financial pictures together. And we were kind of like not speaking the same language about our finances. I mean, 
10, 11 years into our relationship now, I just know that we're two fundamentally different people and we decided to make life really difficult for ourselves <laughs> by choosing someone so different to us. But what really helped me was having financial planner to kind of be that mediator between the two of us and to help kind of like make things less, I don't know, it just made our conversations easier to have. We would schedule a time with Helen. We would have a question, you know, about saving for the wedding. Or I know we talked to Helen when we were thinking about buying our first home. And it just kind of made it, we had like a referee in the mix. And it helped my husband feel more heard because when you're married to Mandy Money or you're dating Mandy Money, it can feel a little bit like I take a lot of like air out of the room because I live and breathe and eat and sleep this stuff, which made it more challenging for him to feel like, you know, his ideas mattered and things like that, which I understand looking back now. So that is why we brought in a financial planner. For a lot of people, you know, let's talk about what's the point of a financial planner and what can they actually do. So most financial planners can be really helpful in kind of assessing where you're at with your net worth. So how much assets versus liabilities do you have? And then helping you sort of strategize how to um, increase your net worth. So how can we get our debt paid down? You know, what can we do to be saving more and increase our cash flow so that we have more money to save and invest? Um, make some suggestions on you know, how much to contribute to different accounts. And if you need someone to kind of help you just get the nice foundation for financial set uh, success setup, that's where a financial planner can be helpful. Another thing, and this is where I kind of suspect this flat fee of $1,250 is coming in, is financial planners can give you like a full plan, which kind of gives you like your goal for how much you want to have saved and invested for retirement and things like that. And that's more like, here's a, you're going to download a lot of information from you and then they'll like give you this plan. I've had one of those plans done, not by Helen, but by a previous financial planner. I actually got it through, I was a personal finance journalist and I was using a service called LearnVest, which is now not even around anymore, but they had a financial planner and I just decided to use them kind of for research to see what it was like. And I got one of those big financial plans. And when I tell you, I haven't looked at that thing. I don't even know <laughs> since when. Also, I was making, you know, I don't know, $45,000 at the time. And it just, a lot of that plan didn't necessarily, it didn't stay like accurate for long. My career was just progressing. I was making these big leaps in my pay. And that plan made sense for a single 24 year old, you know, making 45, 50K a year. But it definitely didn't make sense for me a few years down the line. So, um, I would just make sure you really understand what it is that you're getting with an investment like that. The financial planner that I have, we basically just pay for the sessions. When I decide I need a session, I'll book one and then we pay. And it probably amounts to a couple of times a year. And how do you decide how much you should meet with them? That's really up to you. And it's really up to what kinds of goals you have and how much support you need in achieving those goals. And I think that's maybe not the that's the answer that you know people would like because they just want me to tell them what to do right but I can't do that it really depends on you and your personality for myself I work better if I have sort of like a big call and then I can like execute you know do, do xyz and then I'll get it done and then you know see you in 6 months or whatever so that works for me 
if you're someone who's got more of a complex financial picture, maybe you have children, you have a mixed family, you've got some big goals, you know, coming up, big career changes coming up, you may want to have a chat with a financial planner, you know, once a quarter or once every other month or some, or maybe even once a month. It all depends. Ultimately, like how much you're willing to, I mean, it will cost money, right? This is someone's time. But I think what you should get is an upfront expectation of what is an hour, what does a one hour call with you look like? What is the goal for that call? What am I going to get out of that call? And because there's so many more independent financial advisors now, financial planners, they have their own way of doing things. So unfortunately, you it's not as easy to compare kind of apples to apples. When I was searching for a financial planner, I remember we interviewed probably three different planners until we found the one that we felt was the best fit for us. And there wasn't really a, a me, like a, a, a strategy there. It was just kind of who did we think fit? Like, who do we both like? Because this is two of us deciding. And who could we afford and all of that. So all that is to say, it's what you're doing right now is the work that it takes to find the right financial planner for yourself. It is to work with different people and see how it goes, talk to different people until you find the right fit. And I know Tiffany has also in the past talked about her own journey to find the right financial planner. And she interviewed several people. So it's not easy work and it's not as easy as going on like a ZocDoc and getting the best reviewed gynecologist. Um, there's just, maybe this is a business idea, but yeah, there's no like easy way to gauge the success of financial planners or like who's best for you. You kind of have to do a lot of the legwork yourself. You can definitely ask for referrals from friends and family um, and people who you know who have had a good experience with their planner. What else can I say about that? Oh, right. Where did I find Helen? So I found Helen through XY Planning, which is the XY Planning Network. And at the time, they were really focusing on Gen X, Gen Y, which I think they still do. They have a lot of fee-only planners there. And fee-only planners will charge you a set fee for their services. So like I said, when I when I have a call with Helen, I pretty much know what it's going to cost me and and all of that. So everything is pretty transparent. And also, if you want investment advice, like if you want someone to tell you where to put things and give you a plan for that, that's a that's an additional level of service, which some financial planners can help you with if they're a registered investment advisor. So ask those questions too. And also ask what the fees are for those services. So I know when I go to Helen and I'm like, okay, give us advice on how to diversify our investments. You know, we've been doing things on autopilot for a while. What's your advice? I know that's going to cost me more to get that kind of advice from her. So I just kind of ask, what's that going to cost me? And and move from there. Okay. I hope that's helpful, Brittany. Thank you so much for listening. And you're a new listener. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for supporting us. And that wraps up this week's BA Q&A. Thank you all so much. Hit us up at brownambitionpodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, you can also go to our website, brownambitionpodcast.com, submit a question there, or go to IG. We are at brownambitionpodcast on the gram. Oh,
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.